I don't know where I'd be. Sing it again. He died for me. He died for me. He died for me. I'm so glad. I don't know where I'd be. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. Was wounded for our transgression. And he was bruised for our iniquities. He died for me. I'm so glad. Oh, I don't know where I'd be. If Jesus had not died for me, oh, he was despised and rejected. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrow acquainted with grief. Oh, and he was wounded for our transgressions. For our iniquities. Oh, he died for me. He died. He died for me. He died for me. I'm so glad. Oh, I don't know where I would be. If Jesus had not died for me. All right, I want everybody to clap those hands. For God loved the world so much, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have life everlasting. Amen. And that's why he died for me. Come on, Sopranos. He died. He died for me. He 
Jesus for the blood. Exodus chapter 15 starts with a song celebrating the Hebrews' freedom. As they watched Pharaoh's army drown by the convergence of the previously parted waters of the Red Sea. The scripture says that a song went up to God out of the Hebrew camp. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. But right on the heel, of their singing to celebrate their freedom. Before you get to the end of the chapter, a crisis emerges that changes the whole tone of the camp. It goes from mirth and happiness and joy and glee to cries of anguish, criticism, and fear. The event takes place in the context of a fresh experience of liberation that turns into a crisis of survival at a watering place called Mara. The Israelites discovered that life under the banner of liberation carries with it Discipline and responsibility, which keeps freedom in tension with issues of survival. God had not destined Israel to perpetual oppression under the tyranny of Pharaoh. From the other side of the Red Sea, Pharaoh is seen for who he is self-absorbed imperialist posing as a deity. And with Pharaoh physically behind them, Moses leads Israel through the wilderness territory as the path to a habitation of freedom. But the wilderness offers no reliable life support system. The wilderness offers no predictable realities. And what Israel soon discovers is that wilderness living involves 
risk. When you look at this wilderness crisis, two things stand out. First, when risk and vulnerability become overwhelming, there's an urgent longing within us to find the ultimate authority to which we can turn for dealing with our problems. There is a need in all of us to find a sustainable and dependable somebody who will empower us to stand against the crisis. And the second thing that stands out is that we always want to know that we are not alone. There's nothing more depressing than to feel like you're all alone in the midst of your crisis. And that's what these Israelites feel at Marah. They feel alone. They feel tremendous despair. They feel anguish. But, but what they didn't realize was that camouflaged by their crisis, God was trying to show them something significant. And he was trying to show them this. If you're going to make it through the wilderness, you've got to draw closer to me. This crisis demanded that they re-examine who they were in relationship to who God is. Now, they missed it. And you know that they missed it because Israel chose to do what so many of us in the midst of a crisis, Israel began to complain. The text says they go to Moses and, and they start registering their complaint. We're in a crisis here, Moses. We thought that fresh water was a part of the arrangement of this freedom journey. But now we're cut off from the vital need of fresh water water as cruel as Pharaoh was. He made sure we had water. Let me tell you something, Moses. If you don't fix this thing and fix it fast, we going back to Egypt. Shiloh, as we come to the midpoint of 2019, there is a bitter water crisis among us today. And it threatens our efficacy. It threatens our survival. The litany of our people's pains and problems are many children in poverty, drug-related violence, an increasing prison population for black youth, dysfunctional public schools, and an HIV-AIDS pandemic in our community. We've got a litany of problems. We've got a Mara situation. We're dealing with bitter water. And while systemic injustices perpetuate the bitterness of these waters, the Mara crisis in our communities may be linked to the fact that our people have not kept pace with the discipline that comes with freedom living. What are you saying? I'm saying that as long as you keep thinking that Egypt is going to fix your problem, you're going to continue to have 
we need healing. Not just physical healing, but we need psychological healing. We need emotional healing. We need spiritual healing. And part of the healing that we need demands that we stop thinking like slaves and start thinking like free people. got to stop behaving like we're still in Egypt and start acting like you're bound for the promised land. You have to stop thinking in terms of what others have done for us or done to us and start thinking in terms of what we can and should and must do for ourselves. And the first thing that we must do for ourselves is understand that we will never get past the bitter water if we think that Egypt is a part of the solution. Help ain't coming from Egypt. You know, the psalmist told us, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. And then he asks a question, from where does my help? Let me help you answer that question. It does not come from Egypt's economic stimulus packages that take money from the poor and give it to the rich. It does not come from Egypt's crumbling school system that privatizes public dollars and gives it to entities that are more concerned with profiting than they are with our children learning. It does not come from Egypt's discriminatory and duplicitous criminal justice system where judges and sheriffs and district attorneys form an unholy alliance to profit off of the industrialized military complex that you have built, indentured servitude for African-American men. It does not come from Egypt's anything. But the psalmist answered his own question. He said, my help comes from the Lord. Why the Lord, Psalms? Well, because I know that the Lord is more powerful than Egypt. How do you know? Because he's the maker of heaven and earth. Why the Lord, Psalms? Because he's able to take care of me. He will not let my foot slip. Why the Lord, Psalmist? Because I know that he's always on the job. He does not slumber nor does he sleep. In the wilderness, the children of Israel came to the bitter water place of Marah with an Egypt attitude of servitude and oppression. But Moses wants them to know that freedom demands that their identity take on the character of the God who set them free. And so Moses tells them in, in so many words that they must learn how to trust God and become accountable to him by taking responsibility for their own future. 
Israel's problem was that they were looking for transactional leadership. That's why it was so easy for them to turn all of their anger and hostility toward Moses. As long as they could blame somebody, then they didn't have to take responsibility for themselves. You might know folk like that. As long as they could blame Moses, they didn't have to ask themselves, have I done everything that I can do? Have I been completely accountable and responsible for where I find myself in life? You see, transactional dispositions in leadership only cause us to exchange loyalty from one group or individual to another. As long as they were in Egypt, they could lay all of their complaints at Pharaoh's feet. But now that they're not in Egypt, they need somebody else to blame. And Moses becomes the one that they're going to blame. If he were a better leader, we wouldn't be where we are right now. Well, the problem was they weren't ready to step up in their thinking. And that leads to the second point. Getting past bitter water demands that we take on the character of God. Moses knew that this crisis demanded more than transactional leadership. It required transformational leadership. These people needed to adjust their view away from Pharaoh and even away from Moses, and they needed to clearly see that God was the one who had freed them and was keeping them. God woke you up this morning. God started you on your way. God keeps health in your body. God keeps sanity in your mind. God keeps food on your table. God keeps clothes on your back. God keeps a roof over your head. You need to stop looking at folk. Start looking at God. Israel was being hampered by embedded Egyptian habits of internalized oppression that threatened to sabotage the freedom that God had brought to them. And in the same way, we have to shift our thinking away from negative habits learned in our oppression to a consciousness shaped by the God of our liberation. You can't continue to cultivate the habit of blaming other folk. You've got to stand up on your own two feet. And you have to say what our foreparents said. If the Lord don't help me, I can't stand the strain. Our journey through the wilderness. Is not some act of self-indulgence that touches nothing deep nor abiding, but it's about the location of a fresh water source to restore our people to wholeness. When we are confronted with a bitter moral crisis, it's not a time for registering complaints, but it's a time to see opportunity in the midst of crisis. It's time for us to recognize 
God can do more with us and for us when we learn how to trust in him. And that leads to my final point this morning. Bitter water becomes sweet when you turn it over to the Lord. Folk went to Moses to register their complaint. You brought us out here, and we ain't got no water. You need to fix this thing. And if you don't, we're going back where we came from. Moses had sense enough to take it to the Lord. Moses does not deny the reality of the bitter water, but neither is he deterred by the bitter water. Instead, Moses turns his bitter water experience over to God. And when he put it in God's hands, God worked transformation. What did he do? God, God, God said, there's a piece of wood over there. Get that wood and put that wood in the water. And when Moses picked up the wood and put the wood in the water, bitter water became sweet. Poisonous water became beneficial. Death in the water became life from the water. Now, you need to know it wasn't that there was something special about the wood. What was special was that Moses trusted God who told him to put the wood in the water. Y'all looking for magic stuff. Y'all buying magic prayer cloths. And y'all wearing magic beads. And y'all spending magic money that you ain't got to plant magic seeds in somebody else's ministry. Can I tell you, it ain't in none of that stuff. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. It ain't in the cloth. It ain't in the wood. It ain't in the beads. It's in our faith in God. God has brought you. God is keeping you. And if you keep your hand in his hand, he's able. He's able. He's able to make rough places plain. He's able to make crooked places straight. He's able to open doors for you that men have closed against you. He's able to make a way out of nowhere. He's able to keep money in your pocket. He's able to keep a roof over your head. He's able to make your enemies your footstool. He's able, 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 able. You ain't in Egypt no more. You need to stop looking back at Pharaoh 
expecting Pharaoh to fix your problems. There's a Pharaoh in the White House. He ain't gonna fix your problems. There are Pharaohs in the Metro Council. They ain't gonna fix your problems. Trust in the Lord. Lean on the Lord. Depend on the Lord. God is able. Choir is going to sing a hymn. Your word. 